Hi, I'm Dr. Jess Galton, CEO and founder at Family Well Health. Femtech to me means enabling equitable access to mental health services for pregnant and postpartum women. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast brought to you by Fem Health Insights, the leaders in women's health market research and consulting. In this show, we have meaningful and provocative conversations with Fem Health experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Before we start today's episode, I want to remind you that the 2022 Femtech Landscape Report is officially out. You need to get your copy. Learn about the biggest trends in startups, investment, and exits in women's health. Go to femhealthinsights.com to get your copy today. Okay, Fem fans, in today's episode, I interviewed Dr. Jessica Galton, founder and CEO of Family Well Health. Dr. Galton is a physician entrepreneur whose expertise lies in the intersection of maternal and newborn health and healthcare innovation. She's also a practicing neonatologist at Harvard. Family Well is a digital behavioral health company that integrates perinatal mental health services and obstetrics practices using a tech-enabled collaborative care model. Jessica's inspiration to start Family Well came from her own experience overcoming postpartum depression and struggling to find mental health resources as a patient. Family Well's mission is to solve the maternal health crisis and provide equitable access to mental health services and for pregnant and postpartum patients. In this interview, we discuss how mental health disorders can manifest in birthing people, why one in three moms are experiencing postpartum depression, and what Family Well is doing to help. This is a great opportunity to learn about mental health disorders before, during, and after pregnancy. Learn more about Family Well Health by visiting familywellhealth.com. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Dr. Jessica, welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thanks so much for having me. It is a pleasure to have you. You first interacted with me a year ago in Founder Office Hours, right? Exactly. And you gave me great advice. That's so awesome. I love my founder office hours. I've sadly had to reduce it from like two hours, which is like four 30 minute meetings to two because or to one hour for two meetings, just because we have so much going on. Um, But it really, really is one of my favorite things I do every week is meeting with founders or like you were an aspiring founder and you hadn't even started yet. And one year later, you're on the show like that is full circle. I love it. Can you tell us um, a little bit about your, um, I mean, we were going to get into your story, but as we're talking about founder office hours, what was that like for you as a founder to like reach out, ask for advice, like was uh, Femtech Focus, Fem Health Insights helpful in your process? Oh yeah, absolutely. So I remember very uh, vividly the conversation with you a year ago and you really gave me the courage to to really fulfill my dream to start this company. And so, um, and I don't even remember how I got connected to you, but everybody basically said, you got to meet with Brittany, (laughs) multiple people. And so I really appreciated how, you know, direct and your advice was and how encouraging you were. And, um, and yeah, I remember that as being, you know, a confirmation, like, yes, I can Mm. do this. I'm a doctor. 
I don't know. I have never started a business before, but, but I want to do this. I can do this. Yes. I love it. Well, that is the energy I love to give out. So I'm glad that it was well received. <laughs> um, so Dr. Jessica, may I call you Jessica? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So Jessica, tell us about you a little bit. So obviously we're going to jump into your business and we're going to be talking about maternal mental health and Medicaid and lots of really interesting topics. But before we do that, let's qualify you. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, What's your experience? What have you done for a profession? And how did you end up becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a neonatologist. So I uh, clinically, I work in the hospital and care for mostly premature infants in the NICU. And so in my clinical life, I take care of a lot of families. I interface with a lot of parents, new new moms and babies, and I absolutely love it. And um, throughout my training as a doctor and as a neonatologist, I, all along the way, sort of dabbled in startups and was really interested in how you could build something from scratch from an idea and see it come to life. And then also, um, I just always felt so creative when I had the opportunity to, to be involved in startups. And so I actually think I was an entrepreneur from a very young age. I remember in high school, even I started, I started, started organizations, um, and in college, for example, I started an organi- organization where we had musicians go to nursing homes and play for a nursing home, um, uh, the elderly to help, you know, cheer them up. And then, um, as a Fulbright scholar in China, I started a nonprofit where we, um, created a choir of migrant children and, and raised funds for their education. And so all along the way, I, I think I was a budding entrepreneur, but yeah. never knew it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there's this paradigm of what a businessman looks like. Right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. my mom tells me too, like, you've always been an entrepreneur. You sold the hell out of those Girl Scout cookies. And I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I guess that's entrepreneurship. She's like, oh, yeah, you knocked on all the neighbors' doors, you know. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's so it's exciting. It's scary. It's exhilarating. Um, it's it's really cool to see an idea in your brain sort of materialize into something that is helping others. Yeah. So tell us about your profession and and you know how Family Well came about. You probably have personal. Ex- personal and or like work experience with this problem. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I'm a mom of two. My beautiful kids are five and seven. My daughter actually just turned seven yesterday, which is really exciting. And um, sometimes I just think, oh, wow, I can't believe I kept these two kids alive for this long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a big accomplishment. Um, And so basically when I I had Addie my first. Um, I was in training and I started my NICU fellowship, my neonatology fellowship at one of the best children's hospitals in the country. And she was two months old. And um, unfortunately, um, you know, we, we only got six weeks of maternity leave, um, which for anybody, any new mom, any working mom is not enough. Um, and, you know, we had six months of six weeks of maternity leave. I got to a new hospital in a new city. I had just moved with Addie and my husband was still actually in, in, um, in Boston. We had moved to Philly and he was, he stayed in Boston and, uh, I arrived with this newborn in an empty house oh and God. had no friends and no support system and was starting a job, a really intense job where I was working 80 to hundred hours a week. Uh, I had to lean on and uh, find a nanny and everything. So you can sort of imagine the setup where I, 
I don't know what I was thinking at the time (laughs) arriving by myself with a newborn, but, um, but you know, it was, it was what it was. And, um, and then very shortly after I started working, I started um, having just a lot of symptoms that I had never experienced before. And actually looking back, I didn't even realize I was experiencing Hmm. anxiety. So um, my symptoms started as um, what they're called, what are, what are called intrusive thoughts. So intrusive thoughts are scary thoughts that all parents have birthing and non-birthing partners. So um, one of my good friends says that, you know, if you are a mom and you don't have intrusive thoughts, you, uh, it's just very abnormal, right? It's like very pervasive that everyone has them. And so an intrusive thought is something that pops into your brain that really gives you a lot of anxiety, a scary thought. And I'll give you an example of my own. So mine involved carrying Addie, um, holding her at the top of the stairs and then falling, like tumbling down the stairs with her and her, um, cracking her head open. I'm sorry for the, for that, the imagery. No. <laughs> but yeah, that's but I, the, that's why it's intrusive, right? Cause it was also vivid and detailed and gruesome sounds like. Yes, yes, exactly. And then I, and then that thought, that same exact thought kept popping into my head at random times for no known reason. Yeah. Um, other women have told me about their own intrusive thoughts. For example, um, you know, some women actually have really scary thoughts where they're, where they harm the baby in the thought. And, um, what's really important for moms to know, which I didn't know at the time was that their thoughts, they're not behaviors. Mm. They don't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It is so normal. And so I wish at that time someone had normalized it for me, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, I started having those intrusive thoughts. I started having, um, really intense dreams with these same thoughts. And then, and then they sort of evolved into panic attacks and I would be, you know, folding the laundry in the middle of the day, uh, nothing triggering it. And all of a sudden I'm having a panic attack where the walls are caving in on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so sort of, it started that way and I just pushed it away. I pushed it off. I didn't think I was like, I'm a doctor. I take care of moms and babies. I can do this. Like it's probably just normal. And then sort of pushed through. Um, I didn't seek help after my first um, baby. And then 18 months later I had my son um, unplanned pregnancy, <laughs> but all that he's here. Cause I absolutely love him, obviously. Um, and you know, six months after him, I, the symptoms kept progressing. And then at that point I was really depressed. Um, looking back, I was just crying. I mean, literally everything made me cry. I was so paranoid about everyone, people not, you know, even my husband, I, he doesn't love me. He doesn't support me like isolating myself. Um, and pretty much about six months after he was born, and I was still in neonatology fellow working a lot every fourth night on call in the hospital, um, started um, started realizing that I really needed help. Mm-hmm. And right around that time, before I even reached out to anybody, a female physician um, colleague of mine noticed that I was struggling, mm-hmm. and she mentioned something. She said, "Are you okay? Are you okay, Jess? Like I've just noticed that you know you're not you don't." you don't seem happy. <laughs> and, um, you know, you're, you're, you seem like you're struggling. And so I'm, I'm so grateful that she, she reached out because she's the reason why I'm here today talking about this and, uh, started family. Well, I love when the universe puts little angels into our <laughs> life and I use angels like non-secularly, <laughs> like just like mm-hmm. these people that like were e- said, Hey, looked at you in the eye, put their hand on their, mm-hmm. your shoulder, like said, 
I'm going to help you with this, or I'm going to take this off your plate, or, hey, would you like to get a coffee? Because um, those are the moments that, at least in my experience with my mental health journey, like actually helped me validate that what I was experiencing was bad enough, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. because it was always like, well, I'm doing all these things, you know, like nobody notices. It can't be that bad then, you know, but once somebody else Mm -hmm. identified it, it was like, okay, others see it now too. All right. You know, and if I can't Mm -hmm. think it's bad enough for myself, this person does. So Mm -hmm. yeah. So keep going. Tell what happened next. Yeah. So, so as a doctor, you know, there's a lot of pressure to, to perform at your best all the time. And that, you know, oftentimes people think of us as, um, not really like real people. I think, you know, we're supposed to be the strong ones. We're supposed to be supporting others. And I just want everyone to know that doctors experience this too. Um, and actually right now, um, after COVID one in three women are experiencing postpartum depression. Wow. And that's all women, not doc, female, like physician, yeah. women, right? all moms, all one in three. Wow. One in three used to be up to one in five pre COVID. And now studies are showing that up to one in three and that's just postpartum depression. And so, um, one thing I wanted to talk about, and I'll get to sort of how I overcame this, but basically, um, the field of perinatal mental health, um, we, we really aren't talking about just postpartum depression anymore. So the term that we're using, the field is using, um, experts are using right now is PMAD. So perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. So this is PMAD is an umbrella term that encompasses depression, anxiety, OCD, PTSD, panic disorder, among other diagnoses. Mm -hmm. And they can happen during pregnancy or in the postpartum period. And postpartum means, you know, a year after you have your baby. So a whole year. Um, so that perinatal period is pregnancy, nine months, and then a year. And so it's it's a pretty long period of time. And you can develop symptoms of any of those mood disorders at any point during this time. And you could even come into pregnancy with a history of, you know, a mood disorder. Um, so I just want to point that out. And And so when I finally realized, with the help of this female colleague, um, that I was struggling, um, I, she was my peer mentor. She helped me find the resources that I needed to, you know, I got into therapy. I got on an SSRI. Um, I got out of that really difficult time period and I feel amazing right now. I'm mm-hmm. completely over it. And I want everyone to know that you can get over it too. Um, and so through that experience and looking back, you know, um, it is really hard for everyone to, to get access to mental health services um, as a new mom. Um, and if it's hard for me, a physician in the healthcare system, then I can't even imagine how hard in it is. In a major city, right? <laughs> like, major yeah. city, best children's hospital, one of the best. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's just there, there's so many gaps in the healthcare system right now. And um, it is, it's, a, it's really appalling. And it's really, in, in my opinion, um, as a professional, as a doctor, it's unethical. I think we have to do something. And so that's actually why I started Family Well. Amazing. Well, that's a triumphant story. Please tell us what is Family Well? So Family Well is a digital behavioral health company. We provide mental health services for um, obstetric clinics. And so we integrate um, coaching, therapy, psychiatric services into OB clinics so that OBs have the tools that they need to be able to treat their patients' mental health, not only physical health, but mental health, the whole person. And so that's a huge gap in our system right now um, that OB providers are responsible for, 
you know, your, if you're pregnant or you're postpartum for your mental health, but they just, they don't have the training. Um, they don't have the time. They don't have the incentives from the healthcare system and they don't have anywhere to refer. So they're doing screenings for postpartum depression, but they don't have mental health providers to refer to because there's so few out there that are trained in perinatal mental health that, that are actually available at all to, to, to anybody. Um, Is there a difference between a therapist that are specializing in perinatal mental health versus just regular, not perinatal mental health? Yes, yes, absolutely. And so this is something I didn't know until I started Family Well. Um, There are therapists that are specifically trained in perinatal mental health um, that work with the perinatal population, pregnant women and postpartum women uh, or birthing people. And then there are specific uh, psychiatrists that are trained in this too. And so I want to give you an example of a situation that went wrong. And this is a real patient that was in our program. Um, so she, um, she actually delivered her first baby at a hospital that that I did not work at, but, um, that I'm familiar with, um, in the Philly area. And she went to her OB provider and said, you know, I think I'm, this is that this is after she had her first baby. I think, I think I'm having you know, symptoms of depression. I think there, you know, something's wrong, opened up to her OB and the OB sort of dismissed her and actually misdiagnosed her with bipolar disorder. Mm. Um, and I can say now, now that we've helped her, um, she, she does not have bipolar disorder. <laughs> um, and then the OB referred her to a psychiatrist who was not specifically trained in perinatal mental health. The psychiatrist, when she told the psychiatrist she was having, you know, panic attacks and 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 she was having intrusive thoughts, which were in that case a sign of something wrong. Um, the psychiatrist reported her to DHS. What is DHS for our listeners? Um, D- Department of Health and Human Services. So, like DYS in some states, DHS, um, basically. Um, the government agency that investigates whether the baby needs to be taken away from you. Wow. And I mean, talk about not wanting to open up to your doctor because you could be at risk for the government getting involved in terms of if you're a okay mother or not. Exactly. And this happens all the time, especially Mm -hmm. Medicaid patients. And so, um, so of course she, she got really, really nervous about talking to any providers about her mental health. Right. And, um, and, and just, just to reiterate, intrusive thoughts are really normal in a small minority of, of people like myself and like this patient, this mom, um, it can be a sign of something that's, that, you mm-hmm. know, a developing mood disorder, but most of the time it's not. So, um, so she actually almost got divorced from her husband, really had such a rocky time, but didn't get the help that she needed after her first baby. Um, switched hospitals, switched OB practices, because obviously she didn't want to go back to that OB, mm-hmm. came to the hospital that I used to work at. And um, we got her enrolled in family well during her second trimester of pregnancy. This is her second baby, second pregnancy. Um, we started um, engaging with her. So we have a peer-to-peer text-based coaching program where we train coaches to be able to provide digital coaching support for other uh, moms. And all of our coaches are women who've gone through their through their own mental health um, struggles, like like myself. And and because of my experience with that peer, the female physician who I who really helped me, I felt like one of the missing ingredients in the healthcare system right now is peer to peer support, empathy, um, encouragement. You know, the the love that you would the love and care that you would expect medical providers to give you. Unfortunately, because of a whole host of issues like burnout, you know, medical providers 
are not the people that we turn to for that kind of emotional support um, right now, which is really sad. Um, but basically through our peer-to-peer texting app, um, she started to open up to our coaches by text. Um, she started to get comfortable and then ended up letting us know that she was having symptoms again after this, you know, during the second pregnancy. Um, we got her into her, um, she actually had her baby. Then we got, we got her screened for postpartum depression. She screened very high risk, got her in to see her OB just two weeks after having her baby, um, got her ther- a therapist, psychiatrist, got her on meds, and now she's doing amazing. And uh-huh. very and different I, I, experience then from yeah. our first child, sounds like. <laughs> very different. She got the right diagnosis. She got the empathy and support and and she trusted her, 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 her medical team. I think, I think because we were able to facilitate that sort of relationship building through the peer to peer um, model. Yeah. Well, I've, I've had a long journey myself with mental health. I, you know, I have complex PTSD and the first time I was hospitalized, I was 19. I actually remember there was a woman there in the, this uh, adult crisis intervention services is like a three day hospitalization. She had just had a baby and she, she was there. And now I look back, Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my God, it was like postpartum, but, um, you know, it was, just really interesting to to see that it you know other people were there because we've had these long histories of mental health or issues or challenges or like really obvious traumas that had led mm-hmm. to this or genetic predispositions where she was like I don't know why I'm even here like I don't even mm-hmm. know how what is happening you know all I know mm-hmm. is that I wasn't well after I had my kid and my baby and it, my newborn's home with the dad, you know, and like, I want to get home, but it just seemed, it, I remember thinking like, she seems so misplaced here, you know, like she doesn't want to be here, but she thinks she needs to be like, can you tell us a little bit about kind of, you know, I guess on the extreme side, the crisis intervention side of, of mental health. And I'd also love for you to, to tap on the mental health of the pregnant woman. Are, do women mm-hmm. go into mental health crises while they're pregnant? I feel like we just mm-hmm. assume they're happy that whole time. And then it's after when your hormones are all wacky and stuff. But what I'm understanding is that it, the crisis can happen while you're pregnant too. Can you tell us about that? Oh yeah, absolutely. So the the statistics show that about a third of women who are going to develop a mood disorder in the perinatal period come into pregnancy with a history. Um, So either a family history, a personal history, they're already on medications for whatever mood um, condition. Um, So that's a third previous to even getting pregnant. Um, A third develop symptoms of a mood disorder in pregnancy, and then about a third in the postpartum period. Okay. And so um, there is uh, historically OB providers um, and medical providers in general, primary care physicians, other types of physicians have have thought, you know, it's safer to take the mom. Like, let's say you're on an SSRI or an, or some other anxiety medication, you get pregnant. Um, it used to be the practice that you would consider just coming off of that medication. But now studies show that it's actually more dangerous to come off of the medication than to actually treat the, the mood disorder. Um, and so it's actually um, very, the risks to the mom and the baby, if it's untreated, if the mood disorder is untreated, are much, much more um, dangerous than if you were to stay on your medication. Now, now certainly you want to make sure that you're on a medication that is safe during pregnancy. There are some that are just n- not 
safe and not recommended because the evidence, the data are clear that it's harmful to the baby. But most um, most SSRIs that you and I have heard of, like Zoloft, for example, totally safe. Um, there are some risks to the baby when the baby is born, but generally at the doses that are typical um, that people are taking, it's generally very, very safe during pregnancy and after. And so um, I just want to point that out that now the practice is has evolved into, you know, making sure that the, the mental health condition is treated um, to prevent downstream effects. And so some of the downstream effects I want to mention, because it's very relevant to me as a neonatologist, is that. For example, if you have an untreated perinatal mood or an an anxiety disorder, um, you have a two and a half times increased risk of having a premature infant. So like your your general um, risk in the for everybody, anybody, regardless of your mental health status, is about 10 percent of all babies go to the NICU for whatever reason. A lot of it is prematurity. your risk is about 24% if you um, have, you know, depression coming into pregnancy that's untreated or, or anxiety, et cetera. Why is that? Do we know why? So we don't know exactly why, but it, it, it's biological, right? Like think about when a time in your life when you've been really stressed out, it affects every single organ, right? It affects your sleep, it affects your GI system, um, it affects everything. And so um, we don't know exactly the biological mechanisms, but it is clear that that type of stress on your body, on your mind, affects the baby and affects the pregnancy. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, other risks, you know, the risk of suicide is 16 times higher if you have an untreated perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. Um, the risk of SIDS, um, sudden infant death syndrome to the baby after the baby is born is higher. Um, developmental and behavioral problems for the baby Um you know, the risk of, on the mom side, the risk of, besides suicide, the risk of C-section is higher. The risk of preeclampsia is higher. And so you can see that, you know, the mom-baby unit, um, the untreated mental health conditions of the mom affects both mom and baby for their entire lifetime. Wow. Why are we not just putting every pregnant woman on Zoloft then? (laughs) (laughs) I'm asking this seriously. (laughs) Um, because so, so what, what I am seeing happening, um, is that because there is such a lack of mental health providers, Mm. um, that a lot of the times women end up on Zoloft or an SSRI sort of as a bandaid, right? Because the studies have shown that it's much more effective to be on Zoloft and have, and be in therapy or, you know, poaching than to be on Zoloft alone. But unfortunately, because of the mental health provider shortage, people just end up on Zoloft, but not getting therapy. And so it's, it's, it's not as effective. Um, But certainly, you know, some people, it does make sense to be on a medication. But what what I'm seeing happen is that that's like the first step rather than trying therapy first, because just you just can't access it. And why are mental health, um, you know, problems showing up during pregnancy? Is it just these quote unquote pesky hormones or is there something else that's happening to our bodies that are affecting our, the way our neurons are activated? That's a great question. I love that. Since you're, you're a scientist, (laughs) Um, we don't know exactly. It's multifactorial. Like it's, it's definitely, you know, your, your biology, right? Like if you have a long family history of mental health conditions, you're at higher risk. Um, if you're, um, if you're isolated, if you don't have social support, if you're low income, if you are 
you know, um, women who are, um, you know, uh, less educated and have lower income on Medicaid, they are at much higher risk. If you are of a racial minority, you know, um, you're at high risk. And so there are a lot of different factors. Um, it's also hormonal because like that, that person that you talked about that you were, um, hospitalized with, mm-hmm. there are tons of women out there like myself who had no, you know, I was probably predisposed to anxiety. I've always been sort of like an anxious person, but I never had a diagnosis. And mm-hmm. so, you know, but there, you know, I don't know that if, if I hadn't been pregnant and had my hormones just going crazy after, <laughs> after birth, I don't know that I would have really had, um, such severe symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, it's sort of, it's multifactorial and I'm sure we're going to learn more as, as, as the years go on and more research is done on this topic. What's the current state of women's mental health? I'm, and we can, you know, we have international listeners, but we can just talk about the U S cause that's where you're based. So, mm-hmm. because um, these are the women, like you said, if you already have a mental health condition going into pregnancy, you're at higher risk. So mm-hmm. what is the current state of mental health of females in the United States? The mental health of females, um, in general, women's mental health. Yeah. I would say that we're in a, a major crisis. Just like we're we're in a major mental health crisis across all you know ages populations, um, we we are seriously in a crisis and um, and just like like I had mentioned, one in three one in three new moms is experiencing postpartum depression, and that's not even including anxiety, PTSD, OCD, all of these other diagnoses oh gosh, that we have no, that's no just data depression. on. Okay, that's just postpartum yeah. depression, not even pregnancy wow. during pregnancy. That's just postpartum. And so um, the the numbers are really staggering and the gaps in the system and the lack of financial investment in this is, is really, really, um, really astounding. Like when you look at like your report, actually, that just came out, which I loved. Thank reading. you for the drop there. That was unplanned <laughs> <to> listeners. <laughs> Um, I, I, I read that thing from front to back. It was really, really impactful. Um, but it's really obvious that, you know, the investment, when you look at women's health, investment in mental health is, is, is very much lacking. There's a lot of investment right now in menopause and infertility and other areas within women's health, but mental health is like one of the lowest on the list. Yeah. Do you think that um, investing in mental health in general is different from investing in women's mental health? 100%. Yes. How so? So so women's just like, you know, when you think about randomized controlled trials, right? You're a scientist and how many RCTs have been done in men only and not women. And when you think about cardiovascular health in women, it's completely different. The risk factors, the biology, everything is, you know, it's very different in women than it is in men, which is why we have to include women in RCTs. Same thing for mental health. You know, our biology, our hormonal shifts, our, um, our, every, every part of our biological makeup is different than in men. And so, so our mental health should be treated differently. Our needs are different. Our, the way that we think about mental health is different. Um, and so I, I personally don't think like a, one size fits all works in women's mental health. Mm -hmm. There's a, I actually did a report on um, 
like apps supporting women's mental health. This was before yours was live. (laughs) There was was one on, and so a trend that I saw was that a lot of these apps are targeting a specific stage of life. So like depression Mm -hmm. in menopause or um, anxiety during puberty or, you know, the, the postpartum depression, but there was one app for PMDD with pre- Mm -hmm premenstrual dysphoric disorder, I think, is mm-hmm. it? Yeah, I got it. Okay. PMDD, which is mm-hmm. like clinical grade anxiety and depression before you get your period, like not just sad, like really freaking mm-hmm. sad, right? Like diagnostic mm-hmm. wise. And mm-hmm. um, apparently the story behind this app and all it is, is tracking your mood, like quantitatively, like being able to monitor it and then mm-hmm. showing when your period came because uh, and I read an article that the company, and it's just an app. There's not even like an incorporated company or anything. The app mm-hmm. was made by the girl's father, who was an app developer, and he was tired mm-hmm. of his daughter being literally clinically depressed so every month. Mm-hmm. And her doctor saying like, well, yeah, you're sad. You're getting your period. It happens. And so they mm-hmm. made this app to show the doctors like, this is beyond just being like sensitive that day, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like, <laughs> when we talk about like, what's the current state of mental health of women, mm-hmm. it's like dads are making apps like out of their own pocket at night, like coding something so that girls can feel justified in explaining their symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned something before about the COVID having this big effect. Can Do you mm-hmm. have any insights as to why COVID is increasing the, the rate of mental health issues in pregnant women? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so so being a new mom before COVID is, it is very isolating in and of itself and um, can be a really lonely experience for a lot of women. Um, and COVID just exacerbated that. So, uh, uh, you know, we were on lockdown for a long time. We didn't have normal social interactions. It was scary to bring your baby out, you know, into the world because you're worried that your baby might catch COVID and and get really sick, you might, you're worried you're, if you're pregnant, you're worried you're going to get COVID, right? And this was even worse um, pre-vaccine. So, um, and then, you know, even when the vaccine came out, a lot of pregnant women were scared to get it because they, we didn't know what the effects were on the, no, we didn't. On the baby. Yeah. And so, and we still don't really have a whole lot of data on that. We know it's safe and I highly recommend it if you're pregnant. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it, you know, you, you just didn't have that social, the social network, the social bubble that you normally would to sort of help lift you up and give you that support, which is why I think now more than ever, peer to peer sort of coaching support, being able to um, bolster your social environment as much as you can, even if it's virtually is is very helpful. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd love to actually uh, end our our interview with talking about your your uh, this collaborative care model and also selling mm-hmm. to the Medicaid population. So let's dive mm-hmm. into that um, collaborative care model. You were describing it as you know allowing mental health services to be in your gynecologist's office. Mm-hmm. Can you mm-hmm. describe a little bit more about the logistics of that? Like, are you mm-hmm. talking about like there is a psychologist in the OB/GYN office, or that there's like business cards for your app in the office? Mm-hmm. Kind of tell us, visualize yeah. it for us. Yeah, absolutely. So we actually started with the latter. So having OBs refer their patients to us and realize that what what's really needed is that the OB 
is surrounded by the tools that they need to support their patient's mental health right there in the office. Mm. And so the collaborative care model facilitates that. Um, And so we actually embed an in-person perinatal trained therapist in the OB clinic office who can identify patients um, early uh, who may be at risk for developing a PMAD, um, who are exhibiting symptoms, who can help screen, who can help enroll them in our program, get them the right services, make the diagnosis right there and then in the clinic. Um, and then we have clinical pathways where if a patient is having symptoms of depression, for example, during pregnancy, we will, we have a care plan for them that they can start right away and that the therapist in clinic can get them started, um, do an intake right there. And then um, the program is hybrid, is hybrid in-person and partially in-person and partially virtual. Includes coaching, uh, virtual coaching, on-demand texting, um, and also weekly coaching sessions where a coach, you see a coach, you know, on Zoom or or a platform like this, uh, telehealth, who can support you every single week. And then um, for any patients that need psychiatric support, for example, somebody who the OB provider is thinking, okay, this patient is has been in therapy, but isn't really improving. I think this patient needs an SSRI or some sort of medication, right? Um, there's a psychi- psychiatric consultant who's trained in perinatal mental health that the OB provider can lean on to ask, hey, what SSRI do you think I should start? At what dose do you think I should start it? Um, and so... Um, the psychiatric consultant makes recommendations and the OB provider is ultimately the one who prescribes it and, um, and is following that patient during and after pregnancy. And so um, we, the idea is that everything is integrated into the current OB clinic workflow, um, but we're not changing the way that OBs practice medicine. We're just supporting them and giving them the tools that they need to be able to take care of the patient's mental health. How, as a you know business owner, how have you found their appetite for this, right? You're, mm-hmm. It sounds as if you're making it as convenient, as humanly possible, as integrated, mm-hmm. seamless. At the end of the day, do you get any back pushback from um, a gynecologist saying like, call a consultant? I, I know mm-hmm. about Zoloft, you know, or like, <laughs> how hard is it to get a, a yeah. perinatal therapist to move offices and be in here? Like, yeah. you're making it sound like easy peasy, but I'm assuming it's not. Tell me about some of the challenges maybe you've faced. Or maybe yeah. I'm mis- maybe I'm misconstrued. Maybe all of the, everyone's on board. You know, I, my experience is that OB providers are super excited about this because it allows them to, um, it's a billing model too. It allows them to capture revenue, um, both for Medicaid and commercial plans that they aren't currently capturing. Mm. So they only not only get to improve their clinical outcomes for their patients and, and provide really great care for them on the mental health side, but also capture revenue for their practice. And so for them, it's a win-win. They don't have to pay us anything up front. Um, and when they get the revenue from the insurance companies is when they pay us for the services. Um, they're very, very excited. I, I, I've had numerous hospitals, OB departments reach out to me, um, asking for this. I think the challenge is truly the health system, (laughs) the bureaucracy, the, the getting the contracts. It takes a year to two years to get a contract with a large health system. It is that that's where the challenges and the barriers have been, um, the OB providers want to do the right thing for their patients. They want to learn more about perinatal mental health. They don't get the training in medical school and residency, but they're very interested in learning and 
and really want that knowledge and, um, and seem to be really interested in taking ownership over this because there's nobody else to do it, unfortunately. Um, but really, truly, the barriers have been with the health systems and um, being able to innovate with health systems is difficult. Yeah. Wow. That's really good insight about who actually is the decision maker, the blocker there. And then let's talk about Medicaid. So you just said Mm -hmm. one of the biggest, you know, not only do OBs want this, but they're Mm -hmm. easily persuaded because you just said that they could increase their revenue of the office, Mm -hmm. right? Or their practice by using billing codes they previously weren't billing because they weren't offering it. Tell us a little bit about that. These billing codes, did they already exist? Sounds like they Mm -hmm. did, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, they already so exist. Billing codes already exist. And then what about Medicaid? How how does that yeah. work? Tell and also yeah. for our listeners who are international, what is Medicaid? Yeah, so so just to give you a little bit of background on collaborative care. So collaborative care is not a new uh it, it is not new. It's mm-hmm. an integrated psychiatric model where basically you're able to bill for um care coordination around behavioral health services. So it's not, it's not meant to bill. It's not like psychotherapy where you're billing for each one-on-one session with a patient. You're billing for the care coordination associated with um, being able to provide, provide that psychotherapy. For example, you know, um, scheduling, um, uh, tracking metrics, um, screening, uh, mental health screenings, et cetera. Um, And, um, and basically it's, it was established by, a uh, CMS, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, in 2016, adopted by Medicare in 2017, and 23 state Medicaid plans have adopted these codes. And so it's, and, and more, more coming. So it's been around for a while, um, very, very standard of care in primary care. So it started in primary care with Medicare, now is moving across Medicaid. And um, really, we are the first digital health company to to do this in obstetrics, to be yeah. able to apply collaborative care in obstetrics. And so, um, so, so it's cool. really exciting. So it's like other, what's another field of medicine that's been using this already, for example, primary care. So like you go to your regular uh, yeah, physician, you, mm-hmm. you say, I'm feeling X, Y, Z. They say, mm-hmm. care, let me help get you to the right therapist and they were using mm-hmm. these codes that were reimbursing mm-hmm. them for the facilitation of sending that individual yeah. to a mental health professional. But now you're yeah. applying that system to gynecology and obstetrics. To obstetrics. Obstetrics Obstet- and gynecology. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. But actually that's a really good point, Brittany, because what we're doing is basically, um, you know, supporting the OB guy, the OB guys are trained in both OB obstetrics and gynecology. Yeah. And so we have the opportunity to expand what we're doing across um, the entire lifespan of a woman's mental health, right? So like from adolescence all the way through menopause. But and, PMDD you know, even, at, right? PMDD. That girl, she right. could have gotten her gynecologist now with this system, yeah. right? Yeah, and gotten a referral. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so that's our goal is to be sort of, um, to be the women's mental health platform that is integrating mental health services into OB-GYN um, and we want to include other providers too. For example, family medicine providers are also treating moms and babies and families, really. Yeah. So, I mean, your six um, week post op is with the pediatrician, right? So, six week post op is with the OB, with your obstetrician. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where you, 
you typically are supposed to be screened for postpartum depression. But um, unfortunately, in our country right now, less than 20% of all women are even screened at all. Are you even screened? And what's the screening? I'm sure it's just a questionnaire, isn't it? It's a 10 question questionnaire. 10 questions. Yeah, less than 20%. So on the Medicaid side, Actually, there are um, the, the rates of screening on medic on the Medicaid side are higher than the commercial side. Only nine to eleven percent of women across the country are being screened uh, on a commercial, like women who are you know have commercial funded by Aetna plans. or Blue Cross or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and then exactly. for our listeners, Medicaid is when you don't make enough to, or you you're unemployed, or you don't have a, a, a an employer that's sponsoring your insurance. And then mm-hmm. you're also not making enough money that the government says, okay, we'll, we'll support your mm-hmm. healthcare yep. fees. Is that give or take yeah. a good explanation of what it is? Yeah, that's perfect. And actually, um, it's really important in the U.S. to know that 44% of all births are covered by Medicaid, are captured by Medicaid. So 1.7 million births a year in 2022 were under Medicaid. And so... Um, that's a huge number of births. It's almost half of all babies that are born in the U.S. What percentage of Americans are on Medicaid? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know the percentage across all Americans, yeah. um, but I do know For that women. almost half of all uh, new moms are on Medicaid. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what has it been like? Because we do have a lot of founders that listen. What's it been like as a mm-hmm. founder to create a Medicaid model? Has it been... Mm-hmm easy, hard? Do you have to go state by state? Like what are some of the barriers there or opportunities as well? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we do do commercial and Medicaid, but very strongly. um, I, I am very passionate and feel very strongly that we have to provide equitable access and include Medicaid. Um, And so I am, we're only starting to navigate Medicaid. Um, and I would say it's very difficult because it is state by state. Every state has its own, um, own, you know, sort of hierarchy. Like, who do you talk to? How do you navigate this state? It's so different from state to state. And so I would say that it's very difficult, but it's, it's manageable. Like there are other founders who have done this and it gives me hope and inspiration that I can do this too. Um, but I think we we as founders who are interested in really serving medic the Medicaid population have to come together and support each other and, and help navigate this uh, system together. Is the revenue you get from a Medicaid patient the same that you'd get from a commercial patient? Very different. So Medicaid. So let's say let's say Medicare rates are the standard or like you know um, what you're comparing to. Medicaid usually reimburses anywhere from 60 to 80% of Medicare and then commercials usually um, 120% of Medicare. And so very different um, reimbursement rates. Yeah. How do investors feel about that when you go and say you have a Medicaid strategy? Oh, by the way, we have to go state by state. It's not easy. (laughs) The government, it's going to take forever. Uh Also, Uh by the way, we're not going to, we're going to get less money that way. How have (laughs) investors received that? It depends on the investor. Some investors are really, really interested in it because um, we are the only company really addressing Medicaid right now in this space. And so I think and some investors see the opportunity, especially because half of almost half of all babies are born. And yeah, are, missing, you know, it's literally half Medicaid. the market. It's half not of, like you're right. chasing after a small percentage. It's half the market. Yeah. Half the market. Right. Um, so some investors are very interested. And I think the, the ones who are in, more interested are sort of the impact investors um, 
who who have that mission embedded into their you know their thesis. Um, I would say I've also gotten feedback that you know Medicaid doesn't pay as well, and you shouldn't do Medicaid. You should focus on commercial. Um, but you know, I, I I believe that sticking to what feels right and what you're most passionate about is the right way to go. Right. Because these women, they they if they're on Medicaid, they likely do not have fallbacks, um, mm-hmm. you know, to like help them with. So wow. Yeah. Well, Jessica, this has been such an amazing interview. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank I you. learned a lot over 200 oh, episodes in. I'm still learning <laughs> every day. Um, thank you for what you do. Keep at it. I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to my interview with Dr. Jessica Galton, CEO and founder of Family Well Health. Learn more about mental health and the perinatal patient and Family Well Health's collaborative care model by visiting their website at familywellhealth.com. Okay, Fem fans, it's time to get engaged. If you love the show, then you'll definitely enjoy reading our weekly newsletter. Subscribe at femhealthinsights.com. While there, you can also join our virtual community, which has over 1,000 Femtech founders, investors, and advisors you can get insights and feedback from. We have an active events calendar, jobs board, and much more. Please give our social channels for Femtech Focus and Fem Health Insights a follow. The links are in the show notes. And don't forget, sharing is caring. Send this show to a friend or colleague and keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.